Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. And he measured another thousand, brought me through the water, and the waters were to his knees. He measured a thousand more and brought me through. The waters were to the loins, up to his waist now. Afterward, he measured another thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. I'd like to preach to you this morning on this thought, the testing of the water. The testing of the water. I'm going to ask you if you would lift your heart to the Lord. Then and join us just for a moment in prayer. And uh, praise God, would you, just one more time. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege to be here today. Lord, we thank you for this assembly. We know that you have orchestrated everything, Lord. Even every breath that we take is in your hands. We're asking you, Lord, that you would bring us to a place today, God, where that living water flows. God, we need your help. We pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn around, shake somebody's hand, and say, let the living water flow. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. I'll tell you what, we have got a good looking group of young people, I'm telling you. They all have the same haircut over this way. Amen. The testing of the waters. Want to, there's a lot of a lot of scriptures that we're going to be going through today, but I want to just kind of give you a brief summary, and that is everything that Ezekiel goes through, everything that he sees, it leads up to one point, and that is that after everything is said and done, the angel of God takes him to a place where waters now f- could flow from out of the house of God, and everything that that water touched came alive. Everything. That is the power and the potential of the church this morning. A couple of you believe it. I said that is the power and the potential of the church. You know why? Is because... We have that Holy Ghost living water inside of us. At least that's what the Bible tells me. The great prophet Ezekiel. How many of you just love reading those prop, those major prophets? Jeremiah, by the time you read him, you are weeping with him, right? But Ezekiel, he's out there in left field somewhere half the time, and you're like, whoa, where's this guy going next? But he is 
a prophet, he preached to God's people seven years before Jerusalem fell, seven years before the temple was demolished. We're talking about Solomon's temple. Are you with me? Okay, he told them, he says, hey, y'all better straighten up because if you don't, God is going to bring a judgment on this nation. Can't happen here, right? And that beautiful, magnificent structure that has been up for 410 years is all going to come crashing down. Whoa. That's what he told them. And then, after judgment came to their land, 15 years later, he would be with the group in Babylon, and there it would be that God would tell him, hey, now Ezekiel, I want you to preach to these people that are in a state of depression and without hope, held captive in Babylon, wanting to go back to Jerusalem, but all that's left there is ashes and ruin and destruction. He says, but I want you, I'm going to take you somewhere, and then I want you to preach to these people that there is going to come a day that I'm going to give you a description of what to tell them, and there is going to be a magnificent temple rebuilt. In other words, God was going to restore that little itty-bitty nation of Israel. Huh, are they still around? God gave him a vision of the glory of God prior to the destruction. Imagine this. He saw the glory of God lifting up from the temple, Solomon's temple, he saw it lifting up from the holiest of holies, hovering over for a short time, and then taken off. Did he not? Are you with me? You ever read that? Whew. And then, years later, he was fortunate enough that God gave him another vision that we're going to talk about, and he saw the glory of God coming back. the same way that it took off. O ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heavens? Hello? Jesus Christ, the glory of God, will come again, as the scripture said. He took off in His glory. He's coming back in His glory. He is coming back, and he's coming back in all of his glory, and the entire world is going to see him. But he saw in real time Solomon's temple being completely destroyed. Amen. That magnificent temple, that took seven years to build with a labor force of 150,000 men. You can read it. Not counting the billions 
millions, the billions of dollars of gold and silver that it took to build it. Some even say it's into the trillions. You can't even, you, you, you start weighing that out and calculate. You can read it in the book of, uh, or book of Kings and stuff. You, it, it's so huge amount of gold that calculators won't, can't even compute it. But there it was, beautiful thing, seven years, 150,000 men, stood for 410 years. It's golden covering shining among the world, drawing men, beckoning men to what is it? What is this place? What is this place that the people have put so much time, effort, and money into? That it drew people from all over just because of the magnificent of it. Why would God allow such a structure to be destroyed? You see, it was never about the faulty design or the material that was used. But it was the quality of the worshiper that was at fault. Are you with me? It was never the quality of the pure gold. It was never about the very meticulous design and the blueprints that God gave to David and passed on to Solomon that took 150,000 men to build, that, that the Bible says that they would carve the marble stones and blocks so far away that when they came, there was no sound of hammer or chisel or any such thing. They were perfectly designed and put in order, laid one upon the other. Perfect. God's perfect. He's perfect. There is no fault. There is nothing wrong with God. It was a problem with the worshiper. You see, the whole purpose for the existence of T.O.P. is to provide a place of worship. The whole, the, the whole purpose of writing that check for $148,000 last week and celebrating it wasn't about the structure. It wasn't about the wood. It wasn't about the carpet. It was about this is a place where people can come and they can find Jesus Christ and they can worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, the hour cometh and now is. <laughs> when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Samaritan woman says, I know when Jesus Christ comes. She didn't put the 
the first name attached to it. She says, I know when Messiah, when the Christ comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto you, I'm he. We're here today because we worship. We worship God through Jesus Christ, the only manifestation of God that you will ever see. When you get to heaven, there will be one God. There will be a glorified Jesus Christ on the throne. You're not going to see multiple. You're not going to see two. You're going to see him and him alone. It's him that we worship. We're here this morning. We find as we study the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness, Solomon's temple, Ezekiel's temple, is how meticulous God is in his design and the importance of detail in construction. The Bible records 18 chapters of the Old Testament to the layout, construction, dedication, and the appointment of the workers of the the old temple. 18 chapters. And in Ezekiel's vision, now he he has seen a lot of things. He's seeing the wheel within the wheel, within the wheel, within the wheel, rolling around, and he's seeing, you know, cherubims, and he's seeing all kinds of things. But in Ezekiel's vision, now he's seeing this this temple being built. It takes up the last nine chapters of his book. Nine chapters. You think maybe there's something there that might be pertinent to us? Maybe. And you see... What does this temple of the future represent? Is it the third temple? You can read and you'll get a lot of different thoughts. Some think it's the third temple. Well, that can't be. Is it the future millennial temple that will be in operation during the thousand year reign? No, don't believe it is. Is it a temple that exists in heaven? Well, probably not because John gives a different story about it. Personally, I, you can... Certainly have your own opinion. But here's what I think. I think that his vision is a perfect example and symbolic of the gospel of his future that is current in our day. That the power of a worshiper that worships God in complete knowledge of who he is and is filled with his glory and releases what God has inside of him into a lost, decaying, dead world that will touch them and that will bring life to them. Right. Oh, yes. Yes. 
God gives him this vision of this new temple. You're gonna, there's a couple of things that just absolutely stand out. One, it is built to perfection. Two, the meticulous measurements that go along with it. Three, the altar. And then the glory of God returning to this new temple. And then the living water that flows out from the temple. Back The word measure or form of measure is used 59 times. And the measure used is not the standard cubit of 18 inches, but instead it's what is called the royal measure, which is about 24 inches. You see, God does not measure your walk with Him according to your standard. He measures it according to His royal measurement. Can I remind you today that He is measuring us in our relationship with Him. He is measuring your relationship with Him today. And I know we all think, you know, we're good at measuring each other. Four foot eleven, whatever. Five two, five six. Got a few six footers out there. We're good at that, but no, 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 no. God told Samuel, He says, Hey, Samuel, you know, you're measuring the height of old Jesse's brothers. But he says, See, I measure the heart. And he says, You can't see it, but I can see it. And I know what goes on inside there. He measures the integrity of your heart. So I'm going to kind of give you my GK commentary this morning. I believe it symbolizes the gospel age and gives us a vision of the potential within this church. Allow me to give you a couple of scriptures. Matthew 16, 5 through 19. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who are you? Jesus said, no, wait a minute. He says, who, he says to, to the disciples, who am I? Who do men say that I am? Well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're Jeremiah, this one and that one. He says, no, no, no. But who? Brian Long, but who do you say that he is? Brother Ali, who do, forget the world around you, forget the different churches around you, forget your relatives. What's important is who do you identify your God with whose name? Are you convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God in flesh revealed to this world. Do you believe that He and He alone has the power to save your soul? Don't forget what your neighbor thinks. You got to answer. I've got to answer. Why? Well, because my eternal salvation depends on the idea that I trust, I'm convinced that He's the one. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Okay, fine. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hello. God's church, incidentally, is perfect. Now, you and I are imperfect. We make up the church. But what makes up inside of us is perfection. The redemption plan of God is perfection. His blood that atones and covers my sins is perfect. His spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is pure and clean and holy and it is powerful and it is beyond reproach. It's perfect. John 4, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'm going to give to him, he will never thirst again. Wow. The water that I shall give to him shall be in him wells of water, springing up into everlasting life. Springing up. That was it. That was. That water's got some jump to it. You know what I mean? That water's got some. John seven thirty seven. The last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, "If any man thirst, of course you know where he's standing. Let him come to me and drink. And he that believes on me as." A, these scriptures have said, out of his belly. I'm telling you, he says, out of his belly is going to flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost was not yet given Because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's glorified today. He sits on the throne today. He's full of glory. The heavens are full of glory. And He wants to pour out His Spirit today. The 14th year after the city of Jerusalem was taken, the beginning of the year on the 10th day of the month, meticulous God is. The same day the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me there. In the visions of God, He brought me to the land of Israel. He set me down on a very high mountain by which was the frame of a city on the south. There appeared unto me a man whose appearance was like brass, With a linen cord and measuring rod in his hand, he stood in the gate. And the man said, Son of man, look with your eyes, hear with your ears, and fix your mind on everything I show you. For you were brought here for such a time as this. For you were brought here for such a time as this. I'm telling you, you are here today because God has chosen you to be here and represent Him on such a time as this, today. You are His ambassador. 
What you what flows out of you is what the world gets. Well, why, Lord? Well, because for you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Declare to the house of Israel everything you see. He takes him on a tour and measures every detail along the way. Everything. There's a wall around the temple. The angel measures the thickness of the wall. Then he measures the height. From there he measures the gates. Then the guard rooms. Then the porches. Then the pillars. From there he measures the outer courtyard. Then the distance between each gate. Then the inner courtyard. He measures the tables where the meat offerings are cut up. Then the angel takes him to the chambers for the singers. He measured everything. you got to read those, the, you know, those chapter 40 on through. And every time, he, he, Ezekiel's on a trip, right? And that angel, he said, whoop, 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 stop, we've got to measure. Whoa. God is meticulous to the point where I believe it tells me that not even a dotting of the I or a crossing of the T when it comes to his meticulous words will ever pass away. Not one word. He, everywhere he goes, that angel's measuring. He's measuring, he's measuring the height, he's measuring the width, he's measuring this, he's measuring that, he's measuring the gates, he's measuring the walls, and he goes, you know, if I'm as you, I'm like, whoa, what a strange trip I'm on. And then we're told, and you'll have to read it. We don't have time. Then the angel, then the angel takes him to the chambers for the singers. Wow. Now we're getting into things that I can comprehend, right? And then chapter 40 and verse 45, then he's shown the chambers for the priests who says have the responsibility of taking care of the temple. Hmm. What's your responsibility? Are you responsible that when you walk into this house of worship that you got a right attitude and you got a right spirit and there's you're not releasing any bitter water that might contaminate the service? Just asking. Or are you so distracted because of things that are going on in the world because maybe you're distracted a little bit? Oh, probably better not go here, but I will. Maybe you're distracted a little bit because of the games. You, you understand that this, you understand that this is this is the real deal here, okay? Jesus is coming. The rapture is real. Your family is at stake. This church assembly is at stake. And he showed them the chambers of the priest that's responsible for taking care of the house. I don't need to pick up that piece of garbage. Oh, I am? Hello? 
Because you do know that New Testament says that we are a nation of what? Priests. You're responsible. I knew he was going to do that. Well, I don't need to pick up that garbage outside. Let the pastor do it. Hello. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not getting down. I'm just saying that this is the real deal. He, Ezekiel, he went, that was part of his progression as he went and got to the place that God was going to get him to. He had to realize that there was responsibility that went along with saying, Oh God, I'm going to serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, strength, and everything that is within me. Really? Really? <laughs> then, listen carefully. Then he is taken to the chambers of the sons of Zadok. You can study that out for yourself. Who come near to minister unto the Lord, they take care of the altar. Anything there? You can read it. Their responsibility was taking care of the altar. They, the, the word says, they, they're the ones that come near to minister unto the Lord. There's a connection there. He then measured the courtyard. It was 100 cubits long, 100 cubits wide, a perfect square, and the altar was in front of the temple. Then after that, Ezekiel 43, 1, after that, the angel brings Ezekiel to the eastern gate. Notice, a perfect square. In other words, the structure was in place and it was perfect. A hundred cubic square. It was perfect. There was no, there was no faults in it. Perfectly designed. You are perfectly designed. We don't need to go into that. Try Pull out a strand of hair, and that's where you started from. You are perfectly designed to be a worshiper. You are not perfectly designed. All of us are not perfectly designed to, you know, to to be big and strong, maybe like Brother Parks, right? When I grow up, I want to be like him. Not all of us are designed to be able to run fast. But you are perfectly designed for what God ultimately and magnificently created you for. You are perfect in his design for you to be a worshiper. You're perfect. You are a perfect. Mason, you're perfect. Become a worshiper. Everything else is secondary. But I am so 
I am so designed so perfectly to worship my creator. Perfect. After that, the angel brings Ezekiel to the eastern gate, and the glory of God came from the way of the east. He came back. His voice was like a voice of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. And the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. <laughs> after everything was, was back in, after the worship center was all, was, had came in in the vision, the, the, the temple was laid. Everything was there. Now God said, now I can return to my glory. I can fill that house. I can fill that house with my presence. And I heard him speaking unto me out of the house. Not the angel, God speaking to him. And the angel stood by. But God spoke to Ezekiel, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place where the soles of my feet will abide. This is where I will live among the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they or their kings. Whom do men say that I am? I'm here just to remind you that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the mighty, he is the mighty God and the everlasting one. He's got no beginning. He's got no end. Then he's told this. He says, as for you, son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel so that they will be ashamed of their sins and let them measure its plan in detail. If they are ashamed of all that they have done, remember they're in captivity because of their sins. Their temple, their place of worship has been completely demolished. They're by the rivers of Babylon. He says, you describe the temple to the house of Israel so that they will be ashamed of their sins and let them measure its plan in detail. If they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its, its layout, its exits, the entry gates, the statutes, the laws. Write it down in their sight so that they may keep its whole design and statutes and do them. And then he closes that with this. He says, this is the law of the temple. The entire area shall be holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. What are you saying? <laughs> Everything that God touches becomes holy. Everything where his spirit abides. When Jesus reached out and he touched that leper, Something had to give. Either Christ would be unclean or he would pass on and he would make that leper clean and holy. 
You understand? When Jesus reaches out, when he touches you, when he fills you with the Holy Ghost, when you receive the remission of sins through water baptism, I want you to know that when he touches you, you become holy. You become holy. You become a perfect habitation for him to dwell in. He then reminds him of the measurements of the altar. Read it. He says this, 4326. He says, seven days, seven days they need to purge that altar and purify it and consecrate themselves. Oh, boy. You do realize that you only have to be baptized one time. You can... You can be rebaptized in the Holy Ghost as many times as you desire to be. You understand? Are you following me? But the vehicle that you remain pure is going to be your consecration through an act of repentance at a holy, purified altar. That's what keeps you going. That's what keeps you holy. That's what keeps the water flowing. That's what keeps the Holy Ghost pure. You got to repent. You got to. You got to repent. You got to purify that altar. That altar's got to be the place where I can come to with the assurance. God will never turn me away. If I have a heart of repentance, he will never turn me away. If I have a rebellious spirit, hello, that will stop the water from flowing. Consecrate it. says they purge the altar seven days, purify it, and consecrate themselves. You do understand that when the tabernacle, when the temple was built, everything that the blood touched as far as utensils could only be used for his service. Separated. No longer, no longer, Belteshazzar, you, you best not be drinking the, you know, the alcoholic beverages from that thing because it has been separated. Keep your hands off my child, devil, because that is a child of mine that I have separated and I have called my own through the water baptism and filling of the Holy Ghost and a repentant heart. You can go over chapters 46, 44 through 46, talks about the offerings, 47 to 1. we got to rush through this now. And then he brought me back, went on tour, saw everything. Incredible journey. But then it says that he brought him back to the door of the temple 
And now what was happening was something that could not have happened until he had done the full tour of the building. And then the Bible says, he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. In other words, everything was flowing down from the altar. It was water. And they followed the trail of water. It led them all the way outside the temple grounds. That water, it just started moving. The by, and we're told that and, and uh, uh, he goes out a thousand. Now, now the, the angel's still there. They go out a thousand cubits or 1,500 feet, and uh, that water is up to his ankles, the Bible says. It's moving, though. It's moving. He goes out another 1,500 feet or 1,000 cubits, and now it's up to his knees. He goes out another 1,500 feet, and now the Bible says it's all the way up to his waist. They go out another 1,500 feet, and now the Bible says that that water is so deep, it is so deep, it is a river, it is a torrential river that is flowing, and no man can cross it. And that angel, he says that, and each time, by the way, the Bible says he brought me through the waters. Brought me through the waters. Finally, one more time, after it's, he's, he's swimming, he, he can't get across. And the Bible says that he then, he brought the angel, brings him back to the riverbank. He brings him back to the shore, and he asks him a question. He says, Ezekiel, what do you see? And when he arrived, he saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And then he is told that the water, this water flows toward the eastern region. Listen carefully. And it touches the Dead Sea. It touches the Dead Sea. When it touches the Dead Sea, the Bible says that the water becomes fresh and there are swarms of living creatures that come alive wherever that water flows, wherever the river flows. Everything comes alive. It flows down from the altar. It's not the building. It is who is in the house. It is who is in the tabernacle. It is who is in the temple. It is who that is in this sanctuary this morning. And... It is what flows from the inside, outside those doors.
Notice the angels are not just measuring the width and the depth of that water. But oh, as you stand with us this morning, that angel really, the whole, the whole focus is on the purity and the quality that is coming from the inside of the house of God that is going to the outside, that is bringing life to the hopeless and hope to those that have no hope. Hear me, hear me, hear me. It reaches out. It goes as far as you want it to go. It'll go to Japan if you want it to. It'll go to your neighbor's house. It'll go to your family's home. It goes from the altar. It comes from whatever you release from this house. It is going out into the world. Is the quality and the purity of what I have. Is it bringing life to those on the outside? It touches and it even brings to life the things that appear to be dead. But it all begins with the purging of that altar, the consecration of the life where Book of Romans says is a living sacrifice. The church by design is perfect, made that way by the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God. But we are not perfect. You are flawed. You have imperfections in your life. You have brain waves that kind of go a little off limits sometimes. Or maybe I'm only that way. Now I weeds here, so I know I'm not alone today. She probably can't hear me, so. <laughs> you understand? You are not perfect. I am not perfect. But God's altar is perfect by design because Jesus Christ laid his life on that altar and it is perfect I'm not perfect we're not perfect we always need to be restored I always need to be revived I always need to be kick started again once in a while I need to be renewed to the place of my first love. Come on now. You know just as well as I do, when you gave your heart to God, there was never going to be a question as to what you, how much of God you wanted in your life. When you laid your life on that altar, you said, God, I want to be a living sacrifice for your glory. I want to... I want to hold your image. I want, I want to be able to show, I want to show to the world, God, that, that you are real. They tell me the only entry into, and you've read it before, you, have to, you, you can't go out the same way that you came when you worship. You understand that? The reason, there was only two gates that the worshiper could go through 
And if you went through the north gate, if you entered the north gate, you had to leave by the south gate, south gate, north gate. You, you, you know why? Because that would mean they had to walk the entire, they had to walk the entire width and length of what was going on in that service. They had to walk. The, the altar always was the, main, was the main thing. It was right there in front of the temple. But they had to walk by that altar and they had to smell. They had to smell the smoke of the sacrificial animals that were being offered because of them. They had to smell it. They had to walk by the priests and they had to realize that, man, God called them to do something on my behalf to help me to get to a place where he could save my soul. They had to walk the entire length and breadth of it. So, they, in other words, that God was saying, no, 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 you, 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 this is not, a, this is not a, a, a time clock thing where you punch in and you punch out. I want you to walk the full length of this place. I want you to smell it. I want you to feel it. I want you to understand exactly what goes on inside this house. And they had to. There was no shortcuts. There was only... There was an entry and an exit. That was it. They had to walk past the smoke and constant reminder, the magnitude, the magnitude of what was going on. I believe God is testing the water here at TOP today. I believe he's doing a water test. I believe that he is testing. He is testing the purity of what we are releasing out into the world. And the only acid test that comes from it, you understand, is it, is it okay, are, are we seeing, are we seeing it happen? Are we touching those that, that have no hope? Is God, is God drawing them not into the magnificent structure that this is, because it's not, you understand, but it is paid for but he, he's drawing them into a place of worship. He's drawing them to a place where his holy Shekinah presence is manifested to where they can be ministered to. That is the purity. That is that. Is that. The purity, the length, the depth, the width. Look around. Are we giving life to those around us as an individual as a group, you understand, part of, the, part of our challenge as a church is that, that uh, you, you, may have, you, you may have a pure sacrifice that, that when you come to the altar, but my, my sacrifice might be tainted. And so we get that convoluted mixture going on if we're not careful. And, and uh, uh, as an individual, yes, but maybe as a church, we, there's, so much, there's so much more that we could be doing to impact the world. Repentance. Repentance. The pure, the, the pureness of our altar keeps our hearts pure and keeps the living water flowing. 
It will never be a question as to the purity and the power and the potential of this gospel. It will always be the quality of the worshiper. And that rock that followed them was Christ Jesus in the wilderness. That's what it says. You say, right? Book of Corinthians. Paul says, and that rock that followed them was Christ Jesus. Do you know what that rock did? That rock was smitten. And out from that rock gushed living water enough to satisfy the thirst of over two million people. But then they got thirsty again. And all Moses had to do, but God says, speak to the rock, Moses. Just speak to it. Just speak my name and I will come in all my glory for you. Why? Well, because I died at Calvary for you. Do you not think I want to save you? Not bitter water, but pure water. If you're here this morning, we're six minutes over. I hope you won't hold that. uh, You can hold it to my account if you want. But if you're here this morning and, and you need a touch from God, you need a miracle in your life, you need the Lord to minister to you today, not tomorrow, today. But it's you that has to be the responder. You, you have to come. You have to give your heart. You've got to place your, your life here at that altar, at this altar. If, you, if you've never repented of your sins, I, I, I would beg of you today to do so. If you've never been baptized, we got a baptismal tank right back there. If you need the Holy Ghost this morning, the Lord will baptize you with His Spirit today. How about it, church? How about it? You, do we want to impact our community and our world in 2024? It all starts right here starts at the consecration at the altar so that we can release the power of this gospel into a world that your friends need it, your mothers need it, your fathers need it. Oh, come on. My goodness. This is, this is an altar right here. Please. We, all have, we can all take another 10 minutes or so, can't we? Young men, thank you for being here today. We'll make room for you. Come on, families.